people expect technology to work so perfectly right off the gate, and it's really hard to pull off simplicity and, and, and hide all the complexities if you're trying to solve a hard problem. In part one of our conversation with Paul Shariari, he told us about his company, Ecomedes, and its goal of offering comprehensive, sustainable product catalog for building developers. In part two of a conversation, Paul tells us about the need for data presentation to be focused and strategic, the importance of truly understanding the granularity of the marketplace, and the key business advice he received from his daughter. Paul, I'm excited to continue our conversation now hearing really, how are, how are you innovating? How are you overcoming challenges? Because you probably faced a few over the uh, the past several years uh, so so looking back from from kind of the beginning of of your company and i imagine others will resonate with your story of beginning as a consultant and then you continually finding the, the problems and aggregating data turning into a technology solution that's an amazing journey so what's what's one hurdle that you had to face in kind of that transition from consulting and traveling all over to now a technology product that you can offer uh, what's a, a hurdle that you overcame that you could share with another tech leader? Yeah, I think with with the the work that has to get done to make a building green, there's lots of different you know vantage points. I call it the knights of the round table. You have the owner's perspective, the architect, the engineer, the contractor. And normally, when you want to build a technology, you want to build it for a single group. You know, define their problems, define their challenges, solve them, feedback loop it. But the reality is, is to pick a product, it's not as simple as just saying the owner likes this plumbing picture, the owner wants this light picture. There's a lot of different other people that have to say, well, it's, it meets the engineering requirements, it meets the code requirements, it meets my price requirements, it's available, I can get 3,000 fixtures in this campus. But I think one of the biggest challenges was like, what's the data that everyone needs? What is it centered around? So like there's, you know, when we first started, there's about 10 attributes in a product. And that kind of helped you figure out if all the products in an entire building of 2,000, 3,000 greens were green. And that was awesome. We thought that was complicated, but really that could be easily managed, right? But when we started getting into it, we're like, oh, it's about 100 product data points. Well, actually we're out to 1,000. Now now we're about 2,500 independent attributes that help grade that entire assembly line, that gigantic salad bar of things that go into a building. To green that up, it's really kind of challenging to go look at the different workflows. So what we had to do is go to like, what are the biggest drivers that everyone wants? They want an ROI, right? They want the return on investment because they're spending money to build a building. They want to immediately talk in the lingua franca of business, which is how much more will it cost me? Well, will I make it back? The next thing would be, are we saving energy and water? Watson Water became the next kind of big thing, which ironically ties to number one. So those things, if they save watts and water, they save dollars and cents, right? And then, then human health and planet health were like the next, you know, three and four items that we wanted to look at. So that also became very, you know, user dependent. You know, what do they define as planet health? Some might, might say just CO2 and greenhouse gas emissions. Others would say, no, like the degradation, the circularity of materials. So as we kind of sat with user groups and we got it out there and people use the technology, what was amazing is a flood of information and data. So unlike a one through process of consulting, you can't, you only learn what you learned that day in front of the client face to face, right? With technology, you can say, well, well, how many people search by energy efficiency? How many people search for office electronics? How many people search for office electronics, then by energy efficiency, then looked at the top 10 monitors? So what's nice is like we can follow the, the trail of what people want and really make the platform better where they need it. And if it's underutilized, then maybe we know that there might not be a, a huge push for that yet because, you know, you can't build out everything 
all right. at once. So it's, it's nice to watch technology. I think technology has helped us evolve the platform quicker with better design data loops. Mm. Being able to, to immediately see that who, who is using what, who, what are people searching by and then doing that as a feedback loop to continually iterate because that's 2,500 or more. That's a lot of data points to have to manage. So honing in on what people are actually using was a, sounds like a, a smart strategy. Though going back to your point earlier, generally you pick one, one uh, target uh, client or, or person you can help, but you're actually looking at multiple, uh, both the supplier and, and, and the buyer and other folks managing that that workflow of really being that connector as you mentioned earlier eHarmony yeah. what kind of challenges of, of looking at, at from multiple pieces of being that connector um, that you didn't uh, first realize when it came you're like oh crap how are we going to deal with this yeah. that you were able to overcome that, that's a great point so I think what we always try to go back to is buyer supplier right? the classic marketplace like what is the buyer looking for without the buyer there's no marketplace but in construction it's like the buyer has a vision and the developer the owner of the building has a vision they hire a project team, usually a facility manager, architect, engineer, contractor, consultant to kind of do the work because most building owners don't design and architect buildings. So they have to hire a group. That group has to interpret what the owner wants. So that's another user class, but really they'll get bracketed up with the buyer because they work for the buyer. So hopefully we kind of can persona them into, they're the ones that drive the decision. The next layer would be, okay, now you have the subcontractors, the contractors doing the work. Then they go and lean on distributors who sell them the products. And ultimately the product data all emanates from the manufacturer. So as long as we know who those other players are, make the platform easy enough for everyone to use it. One of the biggest learning lessons we, we had was that, you know, actually my daughters were telling me when I was you know, getting this idea of Ecomedia's off the ground, they're like, well, I'm gonna build another software company, dad. Like, you know, just remember it better work on an iPad, better run with your finger and it better not need any instructions. Like our generation doesn't, doesn't deal with software. Like I remember learning software, like big manuals was how you learned how to use Microsoft Excel. You went to classes. So what we were fortunate enough to do is early on, we said, this is a website. You don't have to install anything. There's no workflow. And we're going to try to make it as Amazon-esque as possible. So you have left navigation, you have performance holders. We tried to make something very complex, as easy as humanly possible, and used a lot of the great learnings that we learned about how they made e-commerce better. I mean, I remember when e-commerce sites weren't like Amazon. They were horrible experiences. Like you didn't want to do it. Like even booking travel online was like, you're going to enter in the date exactly in the right format. Then the end date in the right format. If you didn't put a zero before February, you know, it'd crash and it wouldn't work. Now it's all gotten to where you click on the date on this calendar. You click on the end date. It assumes you're going on vacation for all those days. And it says, would you like airfare? Would you like hotels? Would you like rental cars where you're going? Like you type in the city and already knows, I assume you're going to need a rental car at that airport. Before that was not right. Like you had to look up airport codes. So I think, I'm, I benefit from watching other industries use technology to make their workflows better. We try to use as much as that to be nimble and, and quick. And I think that the world is kind of getting, the, the, the bar, other bar of that is that it, it, people expect technology to work so perfectly right off the gate. And it's really hard to pull off simplicity and, and, and hide all the complexities if you're trying to solve a hard problem. Mm. And I think that's, that's our big learning lesson. That's what we're learning about every day. That's a, a fantastic point. It's hard to make something that is difficult to understand is simple. And that's something you're constantly iterating. And it's nice to know that you have, we have these tech giants around us that, that have already kind of solved a lot of the user interfaces and stuff that we can take inspiration that are in other industries and apply it to the industry that you're in. Now, 
in this transition that you started from just consulting and then collecting the data, turning into a tech company, did you get VC funded? Did you, did you bootstrap it yourself? Like what was that process in order to develop all of this? Yeah, initially it was just bootstrapping an MVP and alpha. Then we got some angel investors and that, that was a great process. I'd never had raised outside capital before. So that was a fun process. And then, you know, in, in, like I said, in 2018, we said, Hey, let's go out and see if we can get some VC capital. We got great backing from, from Tim Connors at Pivot North. Along the way, we had some really great super angels, um, you know, uh, an angel investor that, had, you know, spent many years in the VC land. He had, he had come up and helped us as the, our, our super angel. He introduced us to another good VC group as well. And then as it just grew, you know, we got our round uh, closed out in January of last year. And uh, that gave us the, the ability to bring on a bigger team. I got to shift over my focus on as a chief innovation officer of Ecomedes. We brought on an amazing CEO. She's kind of running the day-to-day. -day. She's got experience not only growing businesses, but also having them acquired into the kind of Silicon Valley ecosystem. Got on a great CTO as well. Uh, so we have a, a good team. We're all focused. We're still small. We're only six people, but we are, you know, very nimble and, and scrappy. And we're really focused on learning what the customers want, evolving to what the customer needs are. And then this kind of a time, because we are small, we have the advantage of being, you know, very, very nimble. You know, it's, you know, some of those, you know, early, early day kind of uh, evolving standards kind of help you kind of focus And this. You know, we can only do so much. So we always talk about what's the most important, what helps our customer right now looking at the data about how our customer sites are being used, having this digital transformation going on in, in the real estate world is helpful. And a lot of VC capital had been flooding into, you know, prop tech, pre-tech, whatever you want to call it. But like the buildings sector, the real estate sector was a laggard with a lot of technology innovation. Mm -hmm. And now that we have to do so much of this work digitally, it's only going to create more pressure on us to get a lot better to do a lot of our work, you know, maybe not face to face. I love the the concept of you know, staying nimble in this time and really, if anything, you're like, okay, we got to stay focused <clears throat> to make this happen. For, for going back a, a step though of that process of both kind of initially getting it started, bootstrapping and angel investing and then get VC funding. Um, any insight that you can share on that process of that, you know, like, man, I wish I had known this uh, that could have simplified it or made it easier. Yeah, I think I, it's been a great process. I think I've learned a lot. I think it, just like everything else in technology, is evolving. You know, I know a lot of friends, you know, they said, oh, you know, and as, as the economy kind of started going up and up and up, every round was starting to get bigger. So seed rounds got a lot bigger than what you thought. A rounds became a lot bigger. Now, obviously, that's all kind of constricting in the other direction. And I think another big thing that they've gone through is they've evolved. You know, there's there are now platforms where you can kind of build a business plan, write your pitch deck and all. Like, like I, uh, I got introduced to a, a technology called Live Plan, which was a nice online thing and ask you a bunch of questions, who are your customers, who are this, and basically builds you an entire beautifully presented business plan with like a financial model, a PL, like, and I think the entire industry of how do you get capital out there to those forward leaning ideas has certainly evolved in the last, you know, five years since I began this journey. All the other technology companies I built were all self-funded and, you know, they, they were good little widgets, you know, and I, I think all good technology, honestly, you got to start with that widget that works, get the right team members that like it, get a lot of customers that like it. And then it usually grows, but sometimes it's kind of like, I'm going to create a platform that's going to revolutionize the world. Like, I don't think Amazon would have worked unless he's like, I'm going to make sure books work. And after books, maybe books and videos and, and CDs, right? And all that stuff evolved. And now it's like, I can't imagine not buying something on Amazon. I think we get a delivery every three days. I've had teenagers, my daughter went to UCF. We would just, it wasn't like a care package anymore. You're just like, these are all the things she needs. And you can just set it on auto ship. Like she's going to need detergent. She's going to need this. 
So I think that's the interesting part about this journey is that the biggest thing is just be, be very mindful of the KPIs you're working towards so that you as a founder, as a founding team, you know what you're trying to solve, you know who has that problem, you know how many people have that problem. And if you're good at you know, brought, painting a big enough picture, then I think VCs are, are ready to, to fund it. I think you know, most people would probably start, unless you've done it before, you might start out with the angel rounds. And there's a lot of you know, angel you know, investing groups out there now that are trying to you know, rise up you know, the other areas of the economy. I work with a lot of young entrepreneurs that want my advice because I've you know, started eight different businesses in my career. And some of them are just in those early stages where they're just looking for a $10,000 investor, a $25,000 investor. And those are like the fun days because you know, that's kind of when those ideas you know, just start to germinate and, and become real. Mm-hmm. I love that, that insight of, of both starting with one focus. Maybe it's your widget, as you said, yeah. and whether it's that fun day and then iterating on upon it. Don't get too big too quickly of, of great ideas. Let's, let's accomplish all these things, but staying focused. Yeah, because real customers, I think, are very, very granular. Like, if, if it works for, you know, whatever that idea is, and if it works in your local community, I think we're going to get hyper-local with businesses right now. We're going to get hyper-local because that's kind of where all the focus is. That's where we need the kickstart, the real kick in the pants. You know, when you think about it, like if it's going to, a scooter round is going to work and it's going to truly scale across the world, you better go to like maybe a big city, maybe a medium city and maybe a small city. Because if it only works in big cities and big cities are crowded and there's a lot of like things that don't let you just put a scooter on every street, then maybe figuring out like, well, will a medium, because eventually if you try to create a big enough vision, you say, this is going to be in 80% of the cities in the in country. And you've never talked to a small city or a medium city. The vast majority of those customers and the vast majority of your growth will actually come from that last bit. So I, I always think about like a, a good band, you know, you, you start with your crew, you get 20 really big fans that turns into 200 fans. You know, sometimes you get on American Idol, you have a million fans that watch you on TV, but they'll never buy your CD because you're no longer on TV. And you can't, you know, you can't pack a bar with, with a thousand people wanting to listen to your song. So, you know, you got to kind of think about building up the old school mentality of a market segment and really growing your business so it can be ready to scale as opposed to artificially maybe just scaling it with a bunch of money and hoopla. And then in the end, you know, something happens and like a market shift that's happening right now, I think a lot of startups are going to struggle because they're not needs, right? They're wants. And I think we're going through a market shift where a lot more needs are going to get focused on as opposed to the wants. And it might, you know, reclassify how businesses get put forward. We're in a time where maybe people are focusing on wants or the service or product they have developed is not in much demand, however that may be. So it's a time of innovating, of, of looking at things differently. How do you currently innovate where do you look for for insights do you have any books that you've read uh, lately or audiobooks or podcasts that uh, you really enjoy to, to get insight yeah I, I i just actually started rereading the, the hard thing about hard things you know ben horowitz's book it's a great you know it's i mean it's a it's a story about really really tough times i think that's really a, a great book of inspiration for me i think uh reed hoffman book uh blitzscaling i think that's a really good book to kind of look at you know what do you do i think you know, there's probably like the, the micro version of blitz scaling to say, okay, how can I very quickly pivot and evolve and then grow within the confines of, you know, maybe less capital. Looking forward, what kind of tech technology predictions would you uh, predict that we will see in the near term and long term? So in the next year or two and the next uh, 10 years or so. I think there's going to be probably a, a, another level of simplification. I think we, we might have gotten to this point now where we're all cabin crazy realizing that like some of the technology we rely on isn't as 
foolproof, you know, whether it's the Zoom lagging a little bit at the beginning of this call or, or security reasons where, you know, people can Zoom bomb you or things like that. I think, you know, some of it just has to get more, more simple, but actually more stable, like really make it part of the utility of, of what we have as a society. I think, you know, right now we have a lot of people that are at home probably streaming a lot of Netflix and there might be people in that same household on a similar pipe and they're trying to stream a Zoom call. And that might be the reason why it glitches in some areas, right? You know, so I so think stabilizing like, the digital age that we're in right now. Yeah, and it's like we need a, we need a, like another utility company that really kind of says, are we all really truly connected? Whether it's maybe Zoom calls for medical practitioners to share medical data. You know, there's there's a lot of great tech, but I think we need to kind of figure out like what does that core technology need to be. So I think there's going to be a lot of that going on. Thank you for your insights and sharing the the journey that you've been on, Paul. This has been an awesome conversation. Yeah, and thank you for having me. I think this is a great idea to kind of capture some of this knowledge and then share it out to people that want to learn quickly and innovate. That concludes the audio version of this episode. To see the original and more, visit our Uptech Report YouTube channel. If you know a tech company we should interview, you can nominate them at uptechreport.com. Or if you just prefer to listen, make sure you subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app.